Well, as uh, Harrison shared earlier, this is an exciting uh, Sunday as we start into a number of ministries uh, leading into the fall. Uh, one of the exciting things I hope for all of us is uh, digging in afresh to a new uh, sermon series as we begin this series through the book of Philippians. You can certainly turn in your Bible to uh, the book of Philippians, which is after Acts and Romans in the New Testament, getting towards the end of the New Testament. It's before uh, Hebrews and Revelation as well, so you'll find it uh, in there right around Galatians and Colossians, and it's just four chapters, so it's a short one, but you'll you'll find it in there if you need a Bible. There's one on the end of the pew. If you'd like to know, if, if you really like surprises and want to be surprised every week, then don't look at page 12 of your worship guide. But if you'd like to see where we're headed in the weeks uh, to come, we certainly invite you to turn there. And one other thing I'll, I'll mention related to that, uh, we are, uh, and, and I, I'm thankful to, to Derek Doherty for helping us find this, uh, we really want to, you know, soak and saturate and benefit from Philippians to the full extent that we can this fall. One of the things we uh, discovered that I think might be helpful for us is there's actually a series of short little memory verse songs. They sound like they're sung by maybe a 9- or 10-year-old youngster, but they're set to some decent music. And I think we actually have, do we have some CDs out there? So we have some CDs of all of the memory verses that we've sort of lined up with our passages this fall. And, of course, you can also, I'll send a link in the weekly web or email, uh, a link to the, the location to find it. Or you can go to our website each week and find a link to download that audio if that's kind of the way you prefer to get that uh, info. But we do have some CDs out with it. And it's just another way for us to grow deeper in God's Word. We're saying each week that we believe God changes us through His Word. So that's another opportunity to, to grow in that. And we've, again, each week we'll share one of those verses. And even, as you'll see this morning after the sermon, we'll read one of those passages aloud. We're not going to have a quiz on it or a test to see if you memorized your memory verse. But it's a good thing to get God's Word in our minds. So we're uh, using those tools to, to set that before you. I think there's also maybe a sign-up sheet if we run out of CDs and you'd like to have one. If there's not any left there, go ahead and sign up and we'll be glad to, to make some, some more. As we turn now to uh, Philippians, look at this uh, passage for this morning. We are uh, moving forward from the events that we saw last week. Uh, some may have been here, others may have uh, missed last week. I'd encourage you, if you weren't able to be here, to go back and, and listen to the audio of the, the sermon uh, from last week. Uh, Acts 16, we looked at and saw where on Paul's missionary journeys, by God's plan, it wasn't by man's plan, but by God's plan, that the church at Philippi came about. You remember Paul wanted to go or thought he was led to go to several other regions. The doors were closed there and the doors flung wide open in Philippi. We also saw that as Paul came and shared about Jesus Christ, the payment that he offers for sins, the new life that we can have in him, that several people, Lydia, a, uh, a demon-possessed servant girl, and a Philippian jailer, came to receive that message and became the foundation, the building block for this church. So we saw this huge principle, a background for the book of Philippians, that God establishes his church on his plans, not on our plans, and that he does it by bringing salvation into the individual lives of people and building his church on that. So that's what we ought to expect and look for in our church family as well. So we saw that last week. Today, as we turn to Philippians, we're turning to the, the letter that Paul wrote to that early church about 15 years later, 
it would seem, uh, most likely during his Roman imprisonment. So it's, it's uh, 64 A.D. or so, and the events of Acts 16 were probably around 49 or 50 A.D. So 15 years later, Paul's writing this letter. It's called a prison epistle, like some of the others, because Paul was in prison when he wrote it. And although uh, Paul, as we're going to see, has some uncertainty about his own earthly future, we'll see in the following weeks, he knows for sure in this uh, so-called epistle of joy that there is eternal joy in Jesus Christ, and he knows that the Philippians have begun to experience that and wants to encourage them to experience it even more, even as today we read it and seek encouragement for ourselves. We'll see, even in just these introductory words, that we'll get to in just a second, even in these introductory words, there's more than just pleasantries here, more, more than just a cordial greeting, but in fact, we're learning about God's working, His grace coming into our lives, what it means to root our identity, our confidence in what Jesus has done. So I invite you to stand with me and read along, and I will read aloud. You can read along silently. Verses 1 through 6 of the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray for our time. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would meet us in a special way as we now desire to encounter you. Know more of what it means to have a relationship with you through these verses. Open our eyes, uh, unstop our ears that we might hear good things from you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some things haven't changed that much over a span of 2,000 years, have they? Think about the recent emails that you perhaps sent or many of us sent and received this week, maybe hundreds, but just think about one in particular you hardly even notice it probably anymore. They each have a to line at top of recipients. They have a from line that tells who they're from. Might have a few people CC'd, carbon copied on it. And then if you're like me, you got a fancy dancy or maybe a simple little signature at the bottom as well that goes on to every email that's sent out. And each one you receive has that information as well. When we look at these initial verses in Philippians, we're seeing Paul share who this is to, the saints in Philippi. Seems like he's maybe CCing, if you will, the overseers and deacons, making sure they're specially copied on it. He tells us who it's from, from he and Timothy, and even where they are. 
And then he's got, if you will, this sort of signature that appears, as we'll see in a minute, at really the beginning of every letter he sends to the churches, grace and peace to you from God. Grace and peace to you from God. Well, the signatures and the to line and the from line on our computer uh, probably generate sort of automatically. You start to type an email address and they pop up, or you've got your signature programmed in there, so it's going to come up at the bottom of your email. They're a little bit perfunctory, aren't they? We don't even think about them. As we look at this passage, Paul has great intentionality in everything that he says, in the to line, in the from line, in the signature laid out here. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, your worship guide, there is a section towards the back that has some sermon notes. And the main idea, I think, is this, and it's just helpful for us. I try to help us with this each week, get some kind of hook to hang things on. The main idea is this. God brings believers grace and peace. God brings believers grace and peace. And so we can be filled, we should be filled, with thanksgiving through confidence in Him, through confidence in His work. That's what we want to take a look at this morning, and I've put them, taken the concepts in this verse, and put them under three headings for us. The identity we have through grace and peace from God. The thanksgiving that we have an opportunity to have. And the confidence that we can take from what Jesus has done in our lives, that He's going to carry this work on to completion. But look at each of these things. We're going to run into areas that we struggle. The identity component is a struggle for us. These verses tell us, and Paul repeats countless times in Philippians and countless other times in the rest of his letters, this idea that we are in Christ. I just prayed about it a few minutes ago. It's a good theme for us to understand. It's a huge theme in the book of Philippians that we are not identified first and foremost as a successful professional, as a diligent mom, as the one who's moral or the person who's funny or the beautiful person or the one that's a little bit better off than maybe our parents were, that our identity is not first and foremost rooted in those things, those sort of good things, you might say, or positive things. It's not rooted there. It's rooted in Christ. We're going to be challenged and pushed there. Nor is our identity, we're going to see, rooted in some of the maybe negative things that were a part of our life or maybe continue to be a part of our life. Not rooted in the fact that we're tending to be a gossip, gossipy person or an angry person. Or an impatient person, we struggle with those things. Or a lustful person. Whatever those issues that we struggle with, that's not our identity either. And Paul's going to challenge us to find our identity in Christ as those who have experienced grace and peace. So, as we start this morning, where do we find our identity? Where do you and I anchor our identity in our lives? Is it in Christ? above all other things. Second thing we're going to talk about for just a few minutes is this idea of thanksgiving. And what we'll see here is two simple but challenging questions. 
Paul's giving thanks for these Philippian believers. And so to me, it raises two questions. One, who ought we to pause and give thanks, thanks for in our lives? Where has God worked through other people and we've sort of forgotten about it or we're, it's going on right now and we're not aware of it? Who should we pause and give thanks for? And vice versa. Are we, as God's grace comes into our lives, living in such a way that other people around us are experiencing thanksgiving for us? Who's giving thanks because of us and God's working through our lives? We'll talk about that for a few minutes. And then the last thing, and really identity and confidence we're going to discover are tied together. The last thing we want to talk about is confidence. Where have we rooted our confidence? Paul's going to tell us that it ought to be rooted in the fact that God's began a work in us and he's faithful to carry it on to completion. Where's your confidence today? My confidence today? Is it in the shifting sands of the stock market that seem to go up and down every week? Is it in uh, job success or performance? Is it in what your children do? Is it in your personal health? Is it in your personal appearance or beauty? Those things are all shifting, aren't they? So where are we rooting our confidence today as well? Let's take a look at these three items in depth now, and I invite you to look closely with me at these verses in Philippians. Take a look first as we think about identity, having our identity in Christ and the beauty and and, and majesty of being able to to enjoy that identity. Look at verse 2, and what we're going to do is kind of work our way backwards through Paul's initial words of greeting. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I said earlier this is far more than just a, a, a sort of tagline. If you look and you can, if you have a Bible handy, I know for some of y'all using your phones and stuff it might be a little tricky, but if you flip back to the first couple of verses of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip one more uh, book of the Bible back. They're all right there. I won't go through every one of them, but Galatians 1, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he even fills in more information. If you flip uh, back to Philippians and just past it to Colossians, another one of Paul's letters. He says, Grace and peace in verse 2, chapter 1, to you from God our Father. It's important. This is significant information that Paul wants us to know, and if you pick up the book of Philippians and just start reading it, you sort of, you know, buzz right back to it. That's just sort of deer, that's the two line, that's the CC line, we just move right past it. It's actually very important information for us. I like what uh, one commentator says, I think it may be in your uh, notes, in your worship guide. He says, grace is God adopting an attitude of, of all sufficient favor towards helpless and meritless sinners. And then acting in line with that, God coming to us in free, unprovoked love to give us the opposite of our deservings. We talk about grace. That's what we're referring to, that we don't have a right to any of these benefits and blessings in and of ourselves. The the songs we sung this morning that talked about all those things we enjoy in Christ, they're not a default for us. They only come because of God's grace. I like as well what uh, Brian Chappell said, and, and follow with me here. This is not in your worship guide. He says, a gift, a gift, and a procuring cause 
in him to who it is given are inconsistent. A gift and a procuring cause in him to who it is given are inconsistent, right? Everybody knows that. Now, we kind of, birthday, I know in our family, you know, with my sisters and mom and dad, you know, birthday, well, gift certificates just kind of flow back and forth across the U.S. Postal Service from Chicago and St. Louis. And so, you know, this gift certificate comes back. So we, again, it's a little perfunctory for us, but a gift really, a real gift, is just giving somebody something that they don't deserve at all. That's what grace is. Paul also says that we have peace, though. He goes beyond that. says, grace and peace to you. I like what Kent says about that as well. He says, peace is the inner assurance and tranquility that God ministers, brings into the hearts of believers, and that keeps them spiritually confident and content even in the midst of turmoil. How do we have that peace? Where does that peace come from? Well, it's rooted in the fact that we have peace with God. That we're not enemies of God. We're not turning away from God anymore. If Jesus has worked in our lives, then we're reconciled to the living God and have a relationship with Him. How are grace and peace working their way into your identity and my identity today? How are they shaping who we are? Let's go to the second thing underneath this first point. Uh, interesting. Again, learn a lot from the to and from lines and CC lines here. Jump back with me one sentence. So the last, the second sentence of verse 1, he says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus. What's he talking about? Who are these saints? These some special uh, super Christians who were able to rise above the pack because of their disciplined lifestyle or living in a monastery somewhere or great feats or miraculous deeds that God did through them. Oh, guess what? If you look all across the scope of the scriptures, saints doesn't mean anything like that. Saints is simply a reference to every single one of us here who are in Christ. That's what the word saints means. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, in another greeting that Paul gives, he says this, he says, to those sanctified in Christ and called to be holy. Sanctified in Christ. What's he saying? He's saying that we're saints simply by the fact that Christ has come into our lives. We've been declared holy before the living God. And then he goes on and he says, yes, you're called to grow up into that, to become that. It would be like if we, you know, I grew up and joined football and wanted to be a big football player and played football through high school. You know, if somebody calls you when you're two months old, your, your name is NFL superstar, and then you grow up and become that NFL superstar. Well, I, I'd already be it because God declared it. But then you desire to grow and to become what you've been called, what God has declared us to be. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. Maybe this will be more helpful than that. He said, the Son of God became man. I've read this before. The Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. What a glorious thing. What a privilege to have our identity rooted in that instead of so many other things. Well, what does this do to us? We see one thing is that it frees us up Going back now to the very first line of Philippians, to be servants of the Lord 
Now, Paul and Timothy here aren't explicitly saying to these believers in Philippi, hey, be servants like we are. But they're introducing themselves as that. Their, their life has been captured. The, the word here really is better translated slaves. Be slaves. And not in a... Uh, not in a begrudging way, but in the same way. And back in the Old Testament, there were some passages where someone could opt to become a slave, a lifelong servant for someone, and they would go and nail their strange little ritual to us, but nail their ear to the doorpost, and that kind of symbolizes that they were going to be with that household forever. It was a voluntary thing. So Paul and Timothy uh, voluntarily yielding their lives to be servants of Christ, And the calling there for us is that as we find our identity in Christ, that, that we're freed up then. We don't have to be caught up in being the super professional person or being or appearing to be the perfect mom or dad or being the beautiful person or the put-together person or the moral person. We can just focus our energy on giving our lives away to one another. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So this is our identity. Our identity is in Christ. And the big question for us today that I hope you'll wrestle with is a struggle for me every week, every day. What does it look like for me to root Chris Peters in Christ instead of all the other things that the world beckons for me to root my identity in? Positive things or negative second thing we want to look at in these verses is this reality of thanksgiving. And I already explained it a little bit, but look with me at verses 3, 4, and 5. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, again, as I said earlier, the first question that pops into mind is, you know, who, who should I be thankful for? I mean, if you think about it, if we were more thankful for everybody around us, wouldn't that change our relationships? Don't we sometimes take out our worst frustrations and and, uh, uh, things that are bothering us on the people that are closest to us, that are actually the greatest blessing to us from God, and we tend to dump on them or mistreat them because they're kind of there and we know they're going to be there? How would it change us to have a thankfulness of heart for those people and and then also just i think paul is encouraging us think through your life think of all the blessings that you've received i i think back to my uh, growing up years and we used to go visit um, after we had moved from pennsylvania to chicago we would drive back to visit and we would alternate staying at my grammy's house and staying at my grandma's house and my grandma i remember this vividly uh from you know being six or maybe seven eight years old uh, we would sleep in her, she didn't have a lot of space in her house, and so we would sleep on a little cot, or I would sleep on a little cot next to her bed, and my sisters, would, I've got two sisters, they would sleep in the bed with her, my parents in the other room. And I remember, you know, she would sleep at, at night, like, you know, a normal person sleeps lying down, and then we would wake up in the morning and ready to play and go get breakfast, kind of exciting to be at Grandma's house and so forth. And she would be sitting up in the bed, kind of with a pillow behind her, and just sitting there. And I figured out after a while she wasn't still sleeping. I didn't know what she was doing, but I remember that picture vividly and being frustrated. Why don't she come play with us? Come on, let's go play. What was she doing? She was praying. 
was sitting up every morning, even when the family was visiting. I can't say that I'm that consistent when you got folks in town or something. Sometimes you sort of set that regular time with the Lord aside, it seems. But she was praying, and I think about uh, the work of God that I've seen across our family. How much of that came through Grandma Moore beseeching the Lord? That's a thing that I give thanks for. I remember back when I started... Uh, a campus ministry in St. Louis, and there were some folks, again, from my younger years, the Bernhardts is their last name. They were actually a little older than my parents, but we kind of played around with uh, their kids, lived in the neighborhood near them when we were little. I didn't see them. I never saw them face-to-face from the time I was seven years old. Uh, I'm not sure I've seen them face-to-face since then. And about 22 years old, God's calling me to go to seminary and begin a campus ministry. Well, you need some resources to do that. And I sent out letters, you know, kind of like those wedding invitations and so forth that we all get or graduation invitations. You know, if you've ever known anybody anywhere, you get that letter. And we've probably all gotten those ministry support letters. I sent those things far and wide. I'll tell you, I never did talk to the Bernhardts. I'm not sure I ever even was responsible enough. I should have sent them a letter or something. I guess maybe I sent them an update letter. But they regularly gave, and they were not people of a lot of resources, but they regularly, for four years while I was doing college ministry, gave to the support of that ministry. I give thanks for that because the Lord worked through that in a lot of college students' lives. One of the things for you and me, maybe it's a, maybe it's just a kind neighbor, maybe it's a, 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 an honest work associate. Uh, there's lots of things we might give thanks for. Maybe it's just a genuinely good friend. Who are those people that God's calling us to give thanks for today? Here's the flip side of that. And I'll just leave this one with you for time's sake. As the gospel works in our lives and as our identity changes, I was talking about the fact that we're freed up. We don't have to be slaves anymore to all the things of this life. Who then are we involved in their lives around us such that they're giving thanks for us, that they would bow their heads and pray and say, Lord, I'm thankful because so-and-so has sought to be a blessing to me. Maybe just be a good friend. Maybe just be a good neighbor because of the gospel, and because of God's grace. Last thing I want us to talk about, and we'll camp out on it for a few minutes here, is verse 6. And it's our sort of memory focus verse today. If you don't take anything else away from this message, I mean, I hope you'll take more away, but if you don't take anything else, please, please take this verse away with you because so much can be changed and will be changed in our lives if we build them around it. Look with me at verse 6. It says, And I am sure of this, I'm sure of this, he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Elsewhere in the Scriptures, I think particularly of John chapter 10, and Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd, And he says a similar thing there. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. No one can snatch us out 
of God's hands. No one can do any ultimate damage to us to thwart God's eternal plan if God's laid his hand upon us. Do you believe that today? We're coming into uh, football season here, and everybody, there were like games on last night. I didn't even realize we were already playing some games. Of course, got lured into the high school game of the week. I had to watch that. I had to see what was happening. And whatever team you're going to be rooting for, wherever your allegiances lie, we're going to watch some games, probably a lot of us. Maybe some of us go to some games. But part of what we love about it is the excitement, don't we? Because you don't know what's going to happen. Who knows what's going to happen? And we like the positive excitement when it works out in our favor. But we've all had that feeling, rooting for our team, when all of a sudden the star running back goes down. He's got to come out of the game. And we see trotting onto the field that guy who is the backup running back, and he's the backup running back for a reason. And we don't know if it's going to happen the very next play or ten plays later, but sometime during the game when he's doing, you know, this spin move or diving over this pile, that ball is going to come out. He's going to drop the ball and he's going to fumble. And all of a sudden our excitement when we see him going on the field, our excitement and watching the game turns into concern, turns into anxiety. If we want to be honest, it turns into some level of fear. Let me be real clear with us from these verses, and maybe it will help this resonate in our minds in a fresh way. God does not fumble the ball. God does not fumble the ball. He will not uh, drop you, lose track of you. He's going to take you. If you have been called by His grace and put your trust in Christ, He will take you to where He intends for you to go. If we live that way, it's one thing to know that, to hear that, to hear me say that. If we would begin to live that way, we'd be transformed people. And I'm struggling with it day in and day out. I'm sure I'm not alone with what it looks like to build the confidence in my life upon what Jesus has done and on where He's taking me instead of the many things around me. Two dangers, and then we'll conclude. Two, well, one danger and one flip side of it. One danger is this, and I, just, I need to pause and say this here. One danger is this, that we think we are entitled to the confidence that this verse gives. We think we have salvation, and in fact, we've never come actually to put our trust in Christ. That's a a danger. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about it this way. He says, Cheap Grace, uh, Bonhoeffer, you recall, was the German pastor who had an opportunity to escape Germany during the Nazi regime and actually chose to come back to his own country. He was uh, within relatively short time imprisoned. He kept trying to preach the gospel in during his imprisonment and then was ultimately executed three days before the Allies arrived. He was a man who understood what it meant to have confidence in God and God's eternal plan instead of his own safety and security. He said this. He said, cheap grace is grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness 
without requiring any repentance. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And he says this, he says, costly grace is the gospel which we seek again and again. It's the gift which we ask for. It's the door at which we knock. It's costly because it costs a man his life. But it's grace because it gives a man the only life there truly is. Let me ask you to think through today. God offers us assurance. He offers us in confidence. But it's for those who are in Christ. And that means we've come to a place at some point, maybe in a young age, we hardly even remember it. It may have been in recent months where we've said, I root my life in Jesus Christ. I know I need him for salvation. If we have done that, okay, so that was the danger. If we have done that, we have tremendous hope in all things that we would face in this life. Of course, we have no need to have fear of death or hell out in the future. You say, well, what difference does that make today? To me, what does that matter? Well, it makes a huge difference. If there's no doubt where we're headed in eternity, we can be freed up from all of these other things and root our lives in Christ. This will change, as I mentioned earlier, service, and it's going to change it in an interesting way. Hear, hear me on this one. Nice to be in a church plant. Nice to grow through service. And when you have confidence in Christ, then you can be freed up. You can say, I'm going to set aside time. I could be spending this time to work on my career. I could be spending this time to go work out and look better because I, I, I want to do that. That's one of my things I want to be. But instead you say, I have identity in Christ, I have confidence in Christ, and I'm going to give my life, I'm going to give my time and energy for the kingdom. That's one way it might work. Guess what? It might work the other way too. There might be some of us here who our identity and our confidence is rooted in the fact that we do a lot in church, and we do a lot in being involved with the ministries here. And we need to hear identity in Christ and confidence in Christ and be freed up to be able to say, no, I'm not going to do those things. I don't need to do those things because I've been doing them to build my identity around them instead of my identity being built in Christ. It's a wild thing. It's a wild thing when the gospel breaks into our lives in this way, when grace and peace come to us. I encourage you to pray through and think through other applications of this. And I'll read one final quote from the Valley of Vision for us. A prayer, a Puritan collection of prayers. These uh, older guys from hundreds of years ago sometimes offer it up to us just perfectly. This prayer says this. I'm always standing clothed in filthy garments. And by grace, I'm always receiving change of raiment, change of clothing. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, let me return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. Stand before the great judgment throne in it. Enter heaven shining like the sun. And grant me, Lord, never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of my sin the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace. Let's pray.
Uh, Father, we do pray that prayer for ourselves now as we have looked at these verses so rich in good nourishment for us and reminders of who we are in You. Oh, Lord, we repent and turn away from so many false places that we put our identity and so many precarious things in which we seek to build our confidence. And instead, Lord, we ask that all those things would take second place and perhaps a distant second place to the glory, to the joy, to the beauty of building our lives on who we are in Christ by the grace and peace that we receive from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.